Well, hello there, and welcome back to Mission Recall for our second episode. This is the podcast where we talk about 90s action movies. We're your hosts, Steve Parkhurst and Oriana Schwint. And today we're talking. <laughs> That's the worst wind I've ever heard. Wait till later. <laughs> We're doing fart jokes. It's the 90s, baby. So if you couldn't tell from our excellent uh, audio effects, <laughs> we are doing Twister today. Jan de Bont's 1996 disaster movie about storm chasers and the bills that they love. Yeah, that is one fun little detail. Bill Paxton plays a character named Bill. Cal, I gotta go, Julia. We got cows. So if you are unfamiliar with the plot of Twister, it's very simple. Helen Hunt is a storm chaser who chases tornadoes because one killed her daddy. Her husband still, like, he he, do, he is technically legally her husband, played by Pil Pac- Pil Baxton. Bill Paxton wants her to sign divorce papers so he can marry Jamie Gertz's therapist and have a quiet life as, like, a weather guy. But obviously, these papers do not get signed. Shenanigans ensue. Bill gets sucked back into storm chasing, pun absolutely intended, because Helen Hunt and her ragtag team of, of storm chasers are releasing a what can only be described as a doohickey that is supposed to measure tornadoes better than anyone has measured tornadoes, and so they can give people better warnings for tornadoes which is great even though honestly that actually wouldn't have saved helen hunt's dad uh he gets sucked out of (laughs) he gets he gets sucked off by the tornado (laughs) then he dies it's like the mummy no he's like holding on to the cellar door you know the storm cellar door and the tornado picks up the door and him along with it and it's like man if you had just not held on to the door, you would have been fine. I'm not, this is not like a, a, a cinema sins ding against the movie. Oh, it's a ding. Anyway, by the end of the movie, Bill Paxton and Jamie Gertz have fairly amicably broken up. Bill and Hel- Helen Hunt uh, survive an F5 tornado passing over them, and they get the data that they need. Kiss, kiss. There's a dog. Uh, the end. Hate dog. We'll get into why this movie bangs in a second here, uh, but I did want to note, uh, per the dad dying in the beginning, that was actually included uh, because of a note from executive producer Steven Spielberg. He was required to executive produce every action movie in the <laughs> 90s uh, by law. Many don't know this, but that was his his note was to have the dad die, which does add stakes and it does add or not even stakes. It adds like an emotional core. To yeah, even even if it doesn't like, you know, ample warning time, like 15 minutes instead of three minutes to, to know that you need to take shelter that a tornado is coming. Yeah, that wouldn't have helped, but it is still very like in line with Helen Hunt's character needing, you know, this is her coping with that or not coping with the trauma of her dad dying. Not coping with it at all. Right. So it's interesting that I think it 
could have maybe been rewritten where they didn't have time to get to the shelter. That yeah. would have driven that narrative a little bit more strongly because as it is, like you said, all he had to do was get into the back of the shelter with his wife and daughter who were fine even yeah. after the door got blown off. She grew up to become Helen Hunt. Yeah, and the mom just disappears, which is interesting. I So uh, there is this wonderful character who is um, Helen Hunt's aunt, uh, Aunt Meg, who is played by the just astonishingly wonderful Lois Smith. But it's her aunt, and I'm a little unsure why it wasn't just her mom. They even, Lois Smith even looks slightly, there is a resemblance with the woman who uh, played the mom in the flashback that opens this It's a weird timeline thing, because the aunt looks maybe five to ten years older than the mom was in 1969, when the movie takes off, or begins rather. Don't think so. I think she looks at least 15 to 20 years older, but still. Interesting. But still, it is a weird kind of timeline thing. Yeah, we probably shouldn't look into it too too much. So I I feel like we're starting off with some criticisms, uh, which makes it seem like we didn't like this movie, but we did very much like this movie. Love this movie. This was one of those movies that, no joke, you know, back in the days when I did have a cable subscription, which are like feels like a few lifetimes ago at this point. But what this movie was on quite frequently, it was on TNT like all the time or AMC. And I, I always put it on. It didn't matter where in the movie I was or it just it was on and I was watching it, you know, and not just like half acidly watching it. I was into it. It, it, pun unintended this time but it does suck you in pretty <laughs> intend that pun <laughs> it does suck you in pretty quickly and efficiently which is the hallmark of a lot of these 90s action movies in going back and looking over the critical response to this movie there was a critical consensus around this movie that it was just a dumb schlocky action movie it was a special effects bonanza i remember everyone talking talking (laughs) about the special effects to the detriment of characters and plot it was just like oh well i mean good special effects i guess but like spectacle yeah spectacle it was a bad word in the 90s which is interesting so quaint so So quaint quaint. for years i considered it a guilty pleasure but it's not a guilty pleasure it's a good movie yeah that's sort of the conclusion we're coming to with a lot of these movies is they're not good for their time or good in spite of something they're just good you know a lot of the criticism of this movie was talked about oh the the plot is generic and really like The plot is simple. That's what it is. And I think it stands in stark contrast to so many movies of today. The big blockbusters. Everything has to be a fucking Rube Goldberg machine instead of just three people in a love triangle and uh, some tornadoes. You know, just people trying to do kind of a small job that has a limited effect, but a nevertheless profound effect possibly on a lot of communities in Tornado Alley. It's really strange to me to see this movie dinged for having, you know, a love triangle and a very simple plot machine, I guess you can call it. That is something in modern filmmaking, I think in sort of the Reddit Twitter era of uh, filmmakers kind of responding to their online critics 
by making things deeply complicated so yeah. as to kind of one up anybody who might guess the ending or guess, Which... you know, some some plot reveal. And so you get these just immensely complex and convoluted plots that doesn't make them better. A complex plot is not inherently better than a very simple plot. No, and I feel like the simplicity of this plot, which is find tornadoes and get this doodad, which is sort of, a, it's like a giant metal canister full of little uh, sensor balls. Balls. They're very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so that the tornado sucks them up and, and they transmit data back to to Helen Hunt and her team. You have a rival team led by Carrie Elways, who, and like everybody is in this movie. Every, that's one of the reasons it's so good is you have Alan Ruck, you have Philip Seymour Hoffman, you have uh, Carrie Elways, you have Zach Grenier, you have Jeremy Davies. Well, you have every white actor available in oh, Hollywood. Oh, yeah, that is one... We're talking about why it bangs right now, but that is one thing that is a little ridiculous, even in the 90s. There's like two people of color that I saw on screen. One was like very background at the National Weather Service. And the other is on the bad guys team, and he just laughs kind of rudely at, at Helen Hunt's team. Come on, guys. That aside. A really fun cast who all have fun with the material. They're just really leaning into their characters, particularly uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. who had a hell of a run there. Before he had become you know, a leading man, yeah. he was just crushing it. So mm -hmm. in, in a very short period of time, he went from Twister to The Big Lebowski to Boogie Nights. Oh my God. Just bringing so much to these very simple roles and, and really making them weird as hell. Mm -hmm. And God, what a delight. I have watched this movie so many times that very little is a surprise to me upon rewatch. But I do, I feel like I got into a headspace where uh, Jamie Gertz's character, who is this, who on first blush is sort of this type A high maintenance therapist, which is just a huge insult. <laughs> or at least that's what it's it's portrayed as. But she actually has a lot of agency in this movie. She knows exactly what's happening from the word go. She understandably freaks out when, you know, she gets thrown into insane situations that are very, very dangerous. And all of these storm chaser people are insane and she calls it out. And when she finally has enough and is like, okay, go fuck with the tornado and Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton. It's not mean. It's just like, you know what? This doesn't work. This never actually worked. And it's okay. We're just going to split, walk away, no tears, no big fight even. And I kind of love that. They didn't make her a villain. The worst you could say about her in the 90s was that she was a therapist and <laughs> had a cell phone. And those were just giant Ooh. sins. But, you know, even for having a cell phone, when cell phones first started popping up, that was such an ongoing joke. Like every hacky yeah. comedian had a cell phone joke about, you know, oh, just the biggest assholes in the world have mm -hmm. cell phones. But even with that, even with those two huge hits against her, she's not a villain she's not treated as crazy or no you know like sort of the hysterical you know new girlfriend who sucks yeah Bleh. 
not a cool girl yeah. like Helen. Like she's very game, like you said, very game and open and yeah. and trying her best and it's just not for her. Mm-hmm. And she does finally just admit that and it's kind of a nice moment. It is. It is actually. It is. It's this moment of calm where uh the there has a tornado has torn through the drive-in, which is one of the it's just a really great scene in the movie a a really great use of darkness and light and sound the sound design for this movie is incredible amazing unlike our attempt to make tornado sounds with our mouths it is this moment of quiet where they have just kind of survived this insane thing and she's like oh i'm out i'm out I'm, i'm done It's nice to see this movie, uh, especially for a long time there, from the 90s through the 2000s. There were so many bitchy girlfriends and shitty ex-wives. And like that was such a trope. They were horrible. They were treated horribly. Mm -hmm. And you were meant to just vilify them. And it, it was nice to have her just kind of be a person and just not be right for old bill paxton yeah he was trying to have this new life but the old life pulled him back in uh and i get it like helen hunt in the 90s would pull me back in too and i do like that helen hunt is not the cool girlfriend she has a lot of very big flaws that people comment on quite a bit throughout the movie and but it's never in like a you're a bad person way it's just a like you are not coping well with a lot of trauma like please please stop walking into tornadoes Helen jesus Hunt. christ <laughs> for god's sake every time you see one you just walk towards it Knock it's it not off. yeah it's not cool man she's kind of a mess it's also you know you get the sense that even though they accomplish their goal by the end she's not fixed no you know she's yeah. not all better it seems like they're probably both gonna be a mess together, mm-hmm. but that's kind of how it should be. Like, they seem like they fit together, even if it's maybe a, a little bit of a messy situation sometimes. Very messy. And that is, an, there's a lot of in this movie that is kind of chaotic and messy in, in like a very good way. The camera is always moving, which I love, which helps us have this sense of motion throughout there's these big scenes with you know the whole team and everyone's talking and it just like it's this cheat code almost where there it's just instant warmth just bam like philip seymour hoffman telling a story about bill paxton being naked and throwing whiskey into a tornado and everyone else is contributing or not contributing and bill paxton is like i wasn't naked and they're like you were naked and you can tell that Joss Whedon took a pass at this script, uh, which was actually a thing that happened according to IMDb, I think. You definitely do get that sort of Whedonism uh, creeping in from time to time mm-hmm. of the back and forth, but louder uh, that we actually talked about in, in the first episode. Yeah. It's limited. tamped down. Yeah. It's it's only a couple of times, you know, when they're talking about how Bill needs to go to therapy, yeah. I think is a good example of like, what are you saying? I need to go to therapy? I'm not saying you need to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. You're saying I need to go to therapy. Yeah. And it's that kind of like, all right. It's exhausting now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the time, that was not and everywhere yet. When you have those actors, they can really sell it. They can really sell the warmth. It's not as anachronistic. It's not as, like, exhausting. It seems like this is how they would interact. Well, and going back to that dinner scene you were just talking about, I, I think it. It, that's sort of indicative of the whole movie where it's this great ensemble it's 
controlled chaos mm, although mm-hmm. according to some production oh, notes yeah, the chaos <laughs> was not that controlled it sounded like a real mess of a movie to make but you know sometimes it still works out yeah but it's it's like the craziest robert altman scene ever <laughs> it imagined. is yeah and the food in it looks it's delicious it gives studio ghibli a run for its money yeah i'm just looking so goddamn it's good. steak and eggs the team goes to wakita so they have appeared at, at Aunt Meg's home, uh, kooky Aunt Meg who has wind chimes. Her neighbors must hate her. Absolutely fucking hate her, uh, despite how nice she is. And she feeds them steaks. They're her family. They're her They're her boys they're and her girls. Kids. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very warm, welcoming scene. You want to hang out in this kind of crazy, yeah. fun family. Everyone's taking stuff and... Putting food on everyone else's plate and... Telling stories, running around, mm-hmm. you know, just like family dinner mm-hmm. uh, that you just want to be a part of. And it's a really nice scene that also lets kind of most of the actors in this ensemble yeah. just have fun with it. Uh, and it comes across. I don't know. Maybe they were miserable at the time, but sure. they're great actors, so it all really works. Yeah. That is that is the one downside to all of these practical effects is they got a little out of hand yeah there were some injuries uh some blindings um the the hail scene apparently was was pretty painful uh and you can't really defend that no um but what i find interesting about the criticisms i went back and read you know critics at the time were saying this was a special effects bonanza and it was just all effects and it took away from the movie and and the characters and the plot and it's really funny to read it now because it's minimal special effects there are a lot of practical effects a ton of practical effects they throw real cars through buildings Mm -hmm. they built a house to drive through and like the house rolling onto the road is a special effect but then they built the interior of the house for that truck to drive through so the special effects are limited mostly to the the actual physical tornadoes that you see and you know some shots of like the trucks being picked up yeah into the tornado the cow the famous the the, infamous cow which is a great scene it is Um, great and it still looks pretty good. It does, actually. Uh, you know, so it's just funny now when every movie is 95% special effects that that was such a huge criticism for a movie that actually doesn't have that many. Mm. When a movie these days has the costumes that the characters are wearing yeah. as effects, you look at like, oh, they, oh no, there's a tornado on screen. Ooh, this takes away from my viewing experience. Mm-mm. Shut the fuck up. What are you talking about? <laughs> You have no idea what's coming, 1996 critic. (laughs) If only, if only you knew, well, they're all probably unemployed now because... (laughs) If only you knew what's coming in so many ways. Just, ooh, womp womp. But we'll keep this uplifting. There's the, just these little moments like, you know, the the final tornado, which is an F5, of course it is. Uh, the In case you haven't seen the movie and don't, or don't remember what the scale is for tornadoes, it's kind of like hurricanes and categories. There's F1 to F5. F5 is total devastation. The finger of God, as not Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. says. I had it in my brain for decades that philip seymour (laughs) hoffman says that line he is not the guy who says that it feels like he should it feels like they kind of gave it to that actor who is this sort of uh, almost mad scientisty looking guy underrated he did a great job he is great he gets a hubcap as as they're like hiding from the tornado that is going through the drive through the 
drive yeah. going going, going through the drive through <laughs> getting some nuggies <laughs> but a, a a hubcap like slices his forehead but does not totally no injure one, him no one dies except for Carrie Elwes well, and Zach Grenier oh, but poor Zach that is like a pretty delightful thing about this movie is that only when Carrie Elwes uh, and Zach Grenier are killed. That is the only time it turns into a Final Destination movie <laughs> when it so easily could simply be just a bloodbath, just people getting wrecked by tornadoes. There was that like alternate cut, right? Oh yeah, it was too... Ble- this was filmed as a rated R movie with lots of profanity and gore. Like Carrie Elwes gets killed in a pretty brutal fashion and they cut it because they cut the entire movie down to PG-13 and you can kind of see actually Helen Hunt's first line in the movie she's you know trying to fix a Doppler radar or something and she clearly goes fuck when it like pinches her finger but you just don't hear it. (laughs) Look I don't want to advocate for like a recut of this movie because it's a pretty great movie as it is. There's a lot of curiosity there to have seen the really R-rated, like, gory version of this movie because Zach Grenier's death, he gets Final destination with, like, this uh, telephone pole or some kind of large metal object yeah. that just slams into him through the windshield. And boy, that could be gory as hell, but you don't see anything. Which I personally am thankful for because I'm a giant baby. And I want this version of the movie to exist. I want to be very clear on that. Leave it as as it is. But if there were to ever be an R-rated version of this movie, I would love to see it. I think that'd be fascinating. Release the debunk cut. <laughs> That's actually a good, uh, I think, opportunity to to talk about Jan de Bont for a second. The guy has a really interesting career, very briefly at the top of Hollywood yeah. before just kind of vanishing. So Jan de Bont started as a cinematographer in the Netherlands and then worked his way over to uh, Hollywood where he was a cinematographer, DP for quite a few years, uh, DP'd on some interesting movies. Uh, some great ones, some not so good ones. So you've got like uh, Ruthless People, underrated comedy with Danny DeVito and Bette Midler. Literally never heard of this movie. It's a solid movie. Huh. I used to watch it a lot as a kid. I think we had it on VHS. Uh, and it's maybe we should watch that at some point. It's not a 90s movie, it's like 84. Okay. Uh, oh no, 86. But a great movie. Um, and then uh, Leonard Part 6. So that's fascinating. What? oh google leonard part six sometime i can't get it i cannot get (laughs) into leonard part six right now um but for anyone who hasn't heard of it by all means check it out uh and then got bigger and bigger he did he was the dp on die hard the hunt for red october flatliners basic instinct lethal weapon three and then finally he made the jump to director and just immediately made speed and twister just two all-time bangers. Uh, we'll be covering Speed at some point yes, we in will. this podcast. Another one where the script got a pass from Whedon. That's right. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Whedon was quite the fixer. My goodness. Uh, for, and, you know, maybe that would have been best if he just... <laughs> right? Did. We're not going to get into no, Whedon. No, it's fine. Uh, so Speed and Twister, two all-time classics, and then Speed 2 Cruise Control, and that's mm. where the wheels start to come off. <laughs> so to speak. So to speak. It's a boat. It's... Why is it a... <laughs> Uh, well, you can't just do a bus again. 
cars, trains even. But a I'm, train might but have a, been fun. A train a might boat? have been fun. And then The Haunting, which I'll be honest, I've never seen. I've heard it's actually not that bad. Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. So the sequel to Laura Croft. And then that's it kind of just disappears admittedly though the man was born in 1943 so he was around 60 years old when the laura croft movie came out so possible he just was like okay i'm done it feels like his career really took off when he hooked up with paul verhoeven yeah he had a hell of a run as a dp was probably getting bank on on a lot of those movies made a lot of big hollywood movies might have just decided to retire yeah. and go back to the Netherlands and, and just, just hang know, out. enjoy his retirement. I honestly don't know. I didn't look into like why he left, if anything happened or anything like that. The Twister set was pretty fraught. The yeah. original DP walked off set and 20 crew members walked yeah. with him. About three weeks into shooting, supposedly. And I was thinking about it. And from my time working on much, much smaller sets, <laughs> yeah. all I can say is that from my experience, the bad sets that I was on, they were the responsibility of the director. The director does set the tone and vibe of a set and the really bad ones i was on the director was a gigantic asshole <laughs> or just a mess yeah. uh didn't know what they were doing in Oof. over their head or just totally uh megalomaniacal that's my experience i'm not saying that's what happened on twister i no. have no idea it's a bummer that twister seems to have been such a mess to make yeah. because god it was it's so much fun to watch and you know you don't want to say like well it was worth it because <laughs> right People got hurt, uh, but it was kind of worth it. it. You know, the fact is the movie is made. We can't really do anything about that. And theoretically, every time we watch it, you know, the people involved get some get some royalties. So so it would be irresponsible of you to not watch it. I'm it's just your saying duty. as as a as an American or someone simply interested in tornadoes, there is something about the tornado uh, you know, I grew up in hurricane country, and I mean, they can do immense damage, obviously. But there is there is something uniquely awe-inspiring about tornadoes. The closest call I've ever had was, I was in Nebraska, and I was walking along a road in a very small town called Broken Bow, and the sky was looking a little green, which I wasn't super used to, and, and then all of a sudden, the siren started going off, and I was still a good quarter mile from the little motel I was staying at, the little gas station motel, which is also a suboptimal place, I feel like, for a motel in tornado country. But uh, it, it ended up not being a tornado. But that's like my closest call. And yet I have been fascinated by them. It's just the, the raw power and the randomness. This movie made me want to be a storm chaser. Uh, oh, yeah. It looks cool as shit. It man. looks so cool. And Something I didn't point out earlier is that this is a slobs versus slobs yeah. movie. It's basically Animal House, but for tornadoes. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to be these guys. Yeah. I wanted to chase bad weather around. You grew up in Florida. I grew up on the opposite end in Maine. And we obviously had snowstorms, nor'easters, things of, things of that nature. Things of that nature. <laughs> but we didn't really ever get severe weather. I wanted there to be tornadoes because they were cool. Yeah. And even now, 
there's a part of me that wants that stuff. And boy, I guess I got it with climate change. It's yeah, sort of a welcome. real monkey's paw kind of situation. You just, you want to see it. You want to literally stand in front of it and go, oh my fucking God, this thing. I, I you know, the F5 tornadoes can be a mile wide. And, you know, they used to be extremely rare, but they are popping up with increased frequency gosh i wonder why but that would be something really incredible to see something genuinely awesome in the original sense of the word there's just something very powerful about that idea that this massive thing can come from basically nowhere and just fuck everyone's shit up and then disappear as though it was never there. If a lightning strike is God saying, fuck you specifically, you know, a, tor- <laughs> a tornado is just that times a hundred. Yeah. It's, it's just fuck you and fuck your you town. generally. Yeah. <laughs> just fuck this group of people. Fuck, fuck this thing in particular. Fuck the Midwest. No, I... No, we I, love our Midwestern listener. <laughs> I do. I have a soft spot for the Midwest, but yeah, there. It's. I think there is something just very primal about tornadoes, and why. And that's part of why Twister is so successful emotionally. You get like you know Helen Hunt. You are yelling at her to not walk into the fucking tornado, but you do kind of understand where she's coming from. I also want to walk into the kind tornado. of. You want to see what's inside. And she does get and to she see what's does. inside. And pays off. It is interesting. I was unable to ascertain whether the way the tornado looks inside is actually the way that a tornado would look inside. If any listeners have any like ideas about that, the you know tried looking up some videos on YouTube and it was just windy and dark. Which. My guess is that is Probably, what it looks like inside. Yeah, there's I, no. It felt kind of like them being like, ah, well, Hurricane Eye. You know, yeah. it's very clear, very distinct. So for those of you who haven't seen it, the inside of the tornado is kind of clear, but then there's like a little baby tornado yeah. right in the center of the tornado. My guess is that's not the case. I guess it's possible for an F5. Maybe it's big enough to have something to that effect, but it seems unlikely. It seems Mm -hmm. just like it would be a cool... They needed something more than just dark and windy. Wind, yeah. Yeah, that's not really... That doesn't... And I don't think it counts as like a ding against it. uh, No, no. It's it's cool. It's a movie. It's fine. We can have movie things in movies. I do appreciate the score in that moment. You know, it's terrifying, but it is awesome in a very old testament sense and the and the score matches instead of it being this kind of dirge where you know the tornado killed my daddy and i'm sad and dark and everything sucks it's just like no you know it it, she has this this lifelong tornado thirst Where there's, you know, an attraction to this thing that she hates, which almost mirrors her relationship with Bill Paxton, which I think is neat. Yeah, I do want to give a shout out to the score because it has that appropriate level of awe that you were talking about. It's like, it's literally like looking up into heaven or something. It's yeah, it's like cool. a church choir. Yeah, um, but not in a, you know, not in a Catholic way. <laughs> 
<laughs> the uh, composer was Mark Mancina. Boy, he did a lot of, of scores in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, so shout out to him. It's a great score. It's a lot of fun. And it just really sells how you should feel about this massive yeah. force of literal force of nature. Yeah. And the score is also like kind of jaunt, you know, it, it's very actiony. You kind of want to do a jig at certain points. Well, it, <laughs> you no, know, totally. It, so the moments where you have the tornadoes, it kind of switches into yeah. this awestruck, you know, kind of coral. like danger. You know, there's there is that element of danger to it. An element of danger, and also an element of this is bigger than any mm-hmm. than sort of a human scale. But then when there aren't tornadoes, when they're just driving around, you know, looking for the tornadoes or fighting with Carrie Elwes. It's jaunty and fun and light. There's also some ACDC songs a lot sprinkled in there. Great music. There's, of course, you know, a little rendition of Oklahoma that of some of them sing. And I wonder how much they had to pay the Hammerstein, uh, the Rogers and Hammerstein estate for that. That shit does, is not cheap. Twister was the second highest grossing movie of 1996 after Independence Day, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. It made $495 million worldwide. That's uh, in 1996 dollars. That's crazy. So that is just an absurd sum of money. Staggering. And it had a $92 million budget, which is quite large, but, you know, not unheard of. And uh, an incredible return on investment. An incredible return. And what's so interesting about this and a lot of the disaster movies that we'll be covering on the podcast is that there has never been a sequel a prequel a A reboot nothing Um, revival nothing and this was an immensely popular movie yeah that's fascinating to me that hollywood never capitalized on this franchise wildly successful movie and i'm glad they didn't because i think the problem it presents to them is like what do you do exactly just have them chase more tornadoes have different people chase tornadoes have helen hunt and bill paxton's son the format of the show that we've decided on we, we have our little comparison corner because so many of these movies have sequels remakes reboots revivals spin-offs whatever there's usually some some other follow-on and so to not have it is is worthy of of comment and kind of trying to figure out why you know steve you're right that where do you go exactly with twister in particular you've already gone all the way up to f5 there are no bigger (laughs) tornadoes to to do the trend that was sort of starting in the in the nine in the late 90s was to go bigger and crazier 2000 you had x-men in 2001 you had spider-man and so i think people started getting used to superhero danger. That is true, although I don't think it's necessarily the audience's fault for this. I think the studios started oh, yeah. getting the studios started getting bigger and more high concept. Yeah. And they started maybe looking for things that could kind of more naturally spawn sequels. I would be interested if uh, the Speed 2 debacle kind of oh, was yeah, informative true. for a lot of these movies where that, you know, speed is a very simple concept. Bus go boom if under 50 miles an hour. Just like Twister is a very simple concept. We have to get the, the balls in the air to, <laughs> to save the people. Yeah. And that's it. So I think studios probably didn't want to have another Speed 2 on their hands of like, boy, that just sucked. That, yeah. that 
so let's go for things that have the potential to have sequels in a much more natural sense. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man, obviously, can have a million sequels and yeah. reboots, as it has. X-Men lends itself. Like, I think probably some of the reason the superhero movies became so uh, ubiquitous was because they were easy to replicate and yeah. do again and again. There's so much source material. Just franchise all the way. And, you know, Twister was part of that sort of early guard of movies that could pull off impressive, realistic special effects. And once they finally figured out how to do that at scale, they could then do the superhero movies in a way that didn't look silly and and kind of goofy. And you could make X-Men and Spider-Man, and then it's just off to the races. I do also think that the late 90s, early 2000s, we started seeing a lot of the M&A, like a lot of the consolidation that is has totally reached its peak now was just starting you were just you know the aol time warner merger was happening you know literally the worst merger in history i guess until at&t tried to swallow warner media and was like (laughs) about like less than a year later or something stupid like that warner media is like a poisonous frog that every bigger yeah they keep trying tries to eat it's just every single one is going to try to eat it and then it's going to spit it out so AT&T, you know, is spinning them off. And then like, I don't know, fucking Toyota will try to buy right? them. Like it'll be some other weird random company. And then that'll fall apart. Like Warner Media is just this poison pill of a, of a company. But I'm glad they're still around. I like, love, yeah. They, they have, have great stuff. So uh, much good stuff. The library on HBO Max is so good. Yeah, for all the shit that HBO Max got, which, by the way, you can watch Twister on HBO Max. Um, <laughs> and, like, it's got its problems. It's it's uh, UI is, is pretty bad. Uh, it's kind of a mess to navigate. Um, it's expensive, but I've seen more stuff on there than I have stuff I want to watch. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Netflix has a bigger library, but HBO Max has shit I actually want to watch and have watched. Yeah. You don't want to hand it to them, but no. you kind of got to hand it to them a little bit. Yeah. And because I think we started seeing some of the consolidation, you need to invest in safer bets. If you know that people are going to watch two or three more of these movies, okay, I'll like invest in this. But a movie that's just about tornadoes and you already do the biggest tornado in the movie i can't what am i supposed to do with that so these environmental disaster movies that we'll talk about you know there's twister there's volcano in dante's peak which will be a fun double feature armageddon and deep impact they all kind of one-offs and i think also weather movies have fallen out of favor like the day after tomorrow was kind of the last weather disaster movie you had like geostorm kind of recently that was a total flop could maybe try to make the argument that fury road is sort of weather related i guess but, so but it's after it happened it's post-apocalypse yeah. i do think a lot of these disaster movies have fallen out of favor one because they're not replicatable and two because they're just kind of depressing now yeah Uh, we don't want to be reminded about the world getting destroyed climate change i also this is where i put on my little conspiracy hat where i believe that these movies fell out of favor as climate change became kind of unavoidable to think about and talk about not just because they're kind of a bummer but 
because it became harder to attract investors because there are a lot of people who have a lot of capital who are very invested in people not fully realizing how fucked we are as a result of our effect on the climate conspiracy corner instead of comparison this corner. week this week it is conspiracy corner superhero movies offer a pretty neat uh, summation by the end like the superhero yeah. stops the bad guy he's he or she is in control of the situation and is you know an ubermensch basically uh, <laughs> yep it's just all tied up in a neat little package whereas disaster movies there are people reacting to them and you might have somebody who knows what's going on and is being ignored by those in charge mm-hmm. and then is proven right. But, you know, in Dante's Peak, Pierce Brosnan isn't able to stop the volcano. Right. Bill Paxton isn't able to stop the tornado. Right. Maybe the studios wanted heroes that were more in control of the situation mm-hmm. so they could kind of act rather than just react to right. something out of their control. And yeah. It, that could kind of tie in with your conspiracy, conspiracy. theory. Well, we want to show that, oh, we're in control. We got this We got this yeah. in hand. Yeah, <laughs> man versus nature sort of falling out of fashion as a storytelling device. Because it seems like nature is winning. Yeah. Or, or at least <laughs> taking us down with her. It, it's also funny because disaster movies were enormous. Huge. In the 90s. Everyone wanted to see the end of the world. And I think that's partly because the special effects finally gave us realistic-looking disasters. They were the biggest movies of the year. Oh, yeah. You know, whether it was aliens or, or volcanoes or tornadoes, a disaster was a big box office draw until suddenly it just wasn't. I do wonder if... So, you know, the 90s were considered this very halcyon time in American history, and so... There was this like, oh, well, let's live vicariously through these disasters. There were lots of problems happening in America in the 90s, but there wa- there is this sense that it was very like prosperous and everyone was cool and yuppies and whatever. And so, oh gosh, you know, we're losing our edge. You know, we fought World War II and now we're kind of losing those people. And what is our struggle So you kind of live vicariously through these movies where people are put in very extreme situations. And it's like, yeah. But then kind of, you know, post 9-11, it was like, oh, no. And then everything since 9-11 has gotten worse worse and worse and worse. Forever wars, climate change, recession. Like, we are struggling. You do get the occasional, like, San Andreas. Um, oh, man. I forgot about that one. And Geostorm um, Greenland, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's another apocalypse Yeah, movie that- so they do still pop up here and there. But I think you're right. The appetite for seeing the world destroyed has really dissipated as we watch the world be destroyed on multiple fronts. Just this week, the wildfires are so bad that air in New York City is almost unbreathable. Yeah, it's the worst it's been for 14 years. Meanwhile, China is just overwhelmed with floods. Germany Uh, is overwhelmed with floods. So I don't need to watch a disaster movie. There's plenty of it, like there are clips floating around the internet, or if, God forbid, you watch cable news, I'm sure it's all over Please that. don't. Don't watch cable news, dear God. I suspect that all 
plays a part like it's just this confluence of events and also just studios deciding they wanted stuff that they could just repeat ad mm-hmm. nauseum and they found the perfect vessel for that <sighs> they uh, sure did yeah but uh boy this is all a bummer twister is is, is not a bummer it's, it's people bummer. do it, it people who have a very defined goal it is not about saving the world it is simply about like maybe down the line giving people more time to hide from tornadoes well, what's funny about it is even the villain, Carrie Elwes, his goal is to is the same. He also wants yeah. to get more data and information and help save people's lives. And that's the villain. Right. Like, he might have stolen the design from he, Bill Paxton. Yeah, he clearly stole the design and, you know, is in it for the glory. But it's one of those things where it's like, oh, he's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Oh, no. Ultimately, it's just funny that the villain of this movie is a guy who is doing something demonstrably good or trying to yeah. and just is kind of a dick about yeah. it. Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, he's like more well-funded. He's got a better grant. Yeah. All uh, of his cars, all of the cars that his team drives match. That's how you know. <laughs> speaking of the cars, uh, so Twister got dinged a lot for product placement, which again, in retrospect, like the special effects is very funny. Because that's just... Oh, it's so quaint. It's rigor so these quaint. Days. Yeah. But I do remember watching this as a kid and being like, I want nothing more than a Dodge Ram. <laughs> it works. The advertising works. It worked so well in this movie. Like Pepsi and, and Dodge yep. paid a lot of money to be in this movie. And I suspect it worked. I'm sure there was, a, you know, some of that co-branding stuff where... You know, they use each other in marketing campaigns and everyone, you know, it's just a circle jerk of capitalism. But it does feel quaint. Uh, I mean, the Pepsi stuff is screamingly obvious. The the Dodge stuff, like slightly less so, like Bill Paxton's truck, it's kind of called out as like, oh, wow, you got a new truck, huh? New truck, new wife, new you. <laughs> uh. It's not exactly treated as like a good thing but the pepsi stuff is pretty bad but only by 90s standards yeah, like by today you wouldn't think i wouldn't bat an eye yeah. you know when every fast and furious movie ends with them drinking corona it's just like well uh, this is fine corona the beer of family the family i haven't the only fast and furious movie i have seen is tokyo drift so i'm not really one to comment on those funnily enough that's the only one i haven't seen <laughs> I think a sign of growth for me is that as a kid, I wanted the the Ram. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, I want Helen Hunt's Jeep. Yeah. The little pickup Jeep. That thing is amazing. It's, it's so sad when it gets smushed. Crushed. R.I.P. to a real one. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we can kind of wrap up here. It's a great movie. It's really a relic of, of mid-90s filmmaking. It was a quick era, but a fun yeah. era. Bill Paxton finally kind of had moved into leading, leading man, man and yeah. this is one of the few movies that really understood his energy i think yeah uh he's got he's he's a chaotic good i'm gonna probably mention this in like every episode but like james cameron was the one who recognized bill paxton's chaotic energy and used it to great effect with him always as a side character but he finally was able to kind of move out from that supporting role into feature roles uh and I think this is maybe the best example of what he was capable of doing. He's charming and handsome and a little chaotic, but not 
overly so. I think it's it works because the character itself is putting on this mask of normalcy for most of the movie so that when you do hear about him being buck naked and chucking a bottle of whiskey into a tornado, you're like, what? But you can kind of see it. And so he gets to have these moments where the mask slips. It really works. It, it really works. It's one of the earlier scenes is him smacking the hat off of Carrie Elwes's head. <laughs> Uh, and it's such a good little, just a tiny little it's, blink and you'll miss it. It's so moment. much more effective than if he had punched him outright. Just this little fucking like disrespectful flip. So, you know, him and Helen Hunt, I think, are well matched in this. They Great have chemistry. Similar, great chemistry, kind of similar energies. You can see why they hit it off mm-hmm. to begin with, why it was tumultuous. And yeah, they end up together at the end, but they're probably going to continue to be tumultuous. Yeah. That is another interesting thing is there is so much chemistry between them, but this is once again a like sexless movie. The most sexuality we get is like they kiss at the end and uh, at one point Bill Paxton is like putting a wireless radio pack or something on on Helen Hunt and he like brushes a boob <laughs> and it's like oh that's a, that's the most we get and yet there is a sensuality to it all it doesn't feel like a sexless movie it's a movie that has sex appeal without needing actual intercourse it's not quite as horny as the mummy which no, we no. talked about last week the mummy is deeply horny but it has just a nice undercurrent of horniness between paxton and hunt in particular yeah. they're just they're horny for each other but it's all very chaste it's all pg-13 yeah and again like Bring back sex in movies. Love sex in movies. Hell yeah. But really, it's about bringing back the horniness in movies. Intimacy. Let let people be horny for each other. Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt are both very attractive people, but they do just look like people. Yeah. Helen Hunt has forehead wrinkles. You can tell that she is a woman like in her 30s. Bill Paxton isn't cut. Like he's, yeah. he's just kind of looks like a dude. He looks like a meteorologist, you know? He does. Like, like the hot meteorologist yeah. that like you're like, oh, I watch Channel 6 News because of I would Bill say the meteorologist. It's More just of nice that, to please. Have, we don't need to Kumail every actor. Let them be Kumail. Just There's let people have bodies for yeah. Christ's sake. The hottest couple at the Sizzler. Yeah. But not unobtainably hot. Yeah. You know, if you were at a bar and they called you over, you would go over instead of being like, this is a prank show. If they just came over and were like, hey, we like your vibe. We spotted you from across the bar. You'd be like, oh, shit. I mean, I'm in. Okay. So that's our... uh, Watch Twister. Yeah. That's our best recommendation for Twisters. (laughs) You, You wouldn't say no to a threesome. With, with Bill Paxton, Paxton and Helen Hunt. So, like we said, it's on HBO Max as of this recording in July. God only knows if that'll change soon, so, yeah. you know. For now, that's where it is. Check it out if you haven't. Great movie. And if it's been a while since you've seen it, I highly recommend a rewatch. Yeah, so thanks for listening to this second episode of Mission Recall. We will have many more fun 90s action movies to talk about in the future. So subscribe.